Um, you know, Trevon is leading the youth and he's been doing it for a couple of months and how many of you have noticed, but a couple of weeks ago there's been a paper airplane stuck in the roof right behind us, right up there above Trevon's head. <laughs> and it, the impossibility of a paper airplane getting wedged in between the stucco and the wood is there, but I figure what a great symbol for the youth leader, right? How else? Who else is qualified to throw a paper airplane and get it stuck into the roof? It's our youth leader, and so Trevon, thank you for your... That's where you know you got a good one, right? If that guy, that's, that's on the interview questions. Okay, can you fly a paper airplane? Can it get stuck into the wall? You're good. You're hired. Um, but there are a lot of things going on. Trevon is leading that. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. We're going we're gonna, to, ultimately, we're going to end. We're going to start all over the place. And we're going we're gonna to start really in Genesis chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open it up to Genesis 12. If you have an um, electronic device, go ahead and pop that open to Genesis chapter 12. And when I was a kid, oftentimes I loved to do these things. You guys recognize that little thing up there? It's kind of a dot to dot where, where you would go in and try to connect the dots. You'd, you'd do a line from one to two, two to three, three to four, et cetera. Remember that? As I loved doing those as a kid. And so I want to ask you if you can figure out what that illustration is. Can anybody, can anybody just open it up to the floor? Can someone tell me what is that a picture of? And you're probably, here's a hint, you're going to have to be old more than younger. Okay, so older people have used it. Younger people have probably not. A baby? No, okay, okay. And so I'm, I'm going to show you. It's going to start drawing itself in a second. I'm going to show you. And then when you get it, when you get it, and anybody figure it out yet? A wheel? No, it's not a wheel. Older people have to use it more than younger people. All right, let's, let's see if we can, let's see if you guys can get it. We're going to watch this thing unpack as we go. And um, so you guys are figuring it out. Okay, there you go. Some of you guys are getting it. Okay, what kind of telephone? Uh, maybe it's a little more, yeah. A real telephone, yeah. Okay, no, it doesn't have a dial. All right, that's not a real phone, right? <laughs> yeah, you guys remember those things? And, and all of a sudden, look, it's even ringing. Okay, and by the way, that is a reminder. Please turn your cell phones on to vibrate, okay? I didn't intend to re- remember that, but it's embarrassing for you. And uh, who knows, one day I'm actually going to go to your phone if it's ringing, and I'm going to answer it, okay? So you don't want... You're a salesperson to think, yeah, pastor, I'll get up there and I'll buy it. If it's a salesperson and it's ringing, um, so please make sure you turn your phone off. But I would, I would go ahead and I would do these dot to dots. And, and as I was looking through Genesis, this is our last sermon in the book of Genesis. I'm going to connect the dots from the beginning to the end of Genesis for you guys. And we're going to, we're going to talk about some things that we've already processed, but we're going to bring in some fresh insight there as well. And so I do this because I think And I know that to fully understand who Jesus is, you have to understand the culture into which he lived. To fully understand who Jesus is, you have to understand the culture who he lived in. And his culture, his people, the people that he walked with, the people that he talked to, they were seeped in the book of Genesis. First five books, they they had them down cold, and the rabbis would teach on them. And things that were connected to an everyday occurrence in the community in which Jesus lived, happened as a result of teachings that came out of the book of Genesis and other books. 
And so the book of Genesis starts and gives creation story two chapters. It gives the fall of man about two chapters. It gives the corruption of man another couple of chapters. And it gives, then it gives the, the line of man, kind of lineage, another three chapters. And that's about it. And then, then you meet this guy in chapter 12 named Abraham. And Abraham gets about 25% of the book of Genesis. We, we have arguments. And that's just two chapters in that book. And, and, and Abraham gets 25%. His sons, if you're going to add Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in there, that would be close to 75% of the book is focused on three people. And so we're going to look at the importance of those three people in the text. Genesis chapter 12 is where we first met Abraham. We met him a couple of months ago. Actually, we met him in about March as we began our series. And Trevon had the privilege of preaching this chapter. And the passage is, Abraham is in a conversation with God. And the Lord is making this promise to Abraham. And he says, I will make you into a great nation. Bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. And that is a theme that goes from Genesis chapter 12. And it will reappear back in Genesis chapter 50. Remember that. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. Well, he gave that promise to Abraham, and Abraham believed him. And Abraham moved from the Ur of the Chaldees. He moved and he wandered and he sojourned into the land and he lived in tents. And then, then he has a moment of doubt. And then so God comes to Abraham again in chapter 15. The Lord takes Abraham out. It is dark. And he asks Abraham to look up into the skies and count the number of stars. Hey, Abraham. I want, this is the promise I'm making you. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then God said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And now Abraham will be considered, because he believed, he will be considered to be a righteous man. Before he does anything, before circumcision, before, before he, he takes his son up the hill, Abraham is considered righteousness because he believed. And to, and to work through this promise, God makes a covenant with a covenant with Abraham. There are there are four different covenants in the Bible that we know of. One is a, a salt covenant. That's in in Second Chronicles, where where it talks about David made a salt covenant with the Lord, and that's a preservative. And so God, David, and God were in essence saying that that they are preserving this covenant. There is something called a shoe covenant that's found in Ruth chapter four, and there's. A hand covenant. We saw that twice in the book of Genesis where, where in 47, where Joseph takes and put his hand underneath the thigh of Jacob, his dad, and makes a promise. But the most significant covenant, the covenant that would cause you to have great fear and trepidation, would be called a blood covenant. And Abraham and God are about ready. God tells Abraham, hey, we're going to have a blood covenant. And I want you to bring a heifer, a cow, a goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon. And what they would do is they would cut the animal in half lengthwise from stern to stem. And they'd cut it in half, and they'd make kind of a trough. And you'd put half of the heifer on one side and half of the heifer on the other side. And the blood of the heifer, the blood of the goat, the blood of the ram, the little bit of blood from the dove and the pigeon would flow into this trough. And then people would make a covenant. They'd make a promise. 
And the promise they were making says the blood of the animals would get on the hem of their garments and it would always be there to remind them of the promise that they made. And so the person would always walk through first, two parties. So if you're going to take a loan, the person who had the money would, would say, I'm going to promise to give you this money. And the person who received the money said, I promise to pay it back. And if the person who said, I'm going to give you the money or the resources or whatever didn't, they would, they would make a, a, a kind of a, a pledge. And as they walked through the mud and the blood, I know it's kind of gross, but that's what they would do. They walked through the mud and the blood. They would say this, if I do not hold up my end of the bargain, make me like these animals. Why don't we read that verse, that section together. Let's read the yellow together. Ready? If I do not hold bargain, make me like these animals. Imagine if you were buying a house <laughs> and you go to Bank America. Hey, if I don't hold up this end of the bargain, you know, uh, you can you can cut me in half. How many how many foreclosures would there be? Probably not very many, would there? And well, if Bank America didn't provide for you funds on a good time, you could cut the company in half. Who knows what you could do? But uh, that's exactly what would happen. It's a huge deal. And so here we have Abraham, here we have God, and I'm just reviewing what we've already learned. And God puts Abraham into a deep sleep. And then after the sun went down, Genesis chapter 15, after the sun fell and he saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. And so the Lord made a covenant with Abraham on that day. Important, the greater goes through first, God goes through first. God passes through as a smoking fire pot. Fire and smoke is always considered a picture, an image of God. And so Abraham sees the vision of God going through. And But Abraham was stuck in a quandary. God can easily uphold his end of the bargain. But Abraham can't hold up his end of the bargain. Abraham needed to be perfect. Abraham needed to be, to be sinless. And Abraham knew he couldn't go through. And so the second thing is just as important. God takes Abraham's place. Abraham's place. God passes through as fire. Two objects pass through the blood and the muck, the smoking fire pot and the fire. Well, we've reviewed that. We, we understand that because we, we were here a couple of months ago when we walked through this passage, but something else happens as a result of this particular covenant. As a result of this particular covenant, the people in Exodus are, are commanded to remember what happened between God and Moses twice a day. Twice a day, at, the, at 9 a.m. and at 3 p.m., God's people remembered what happened to Abraham twice a day. In Exodus chapter 29, watch this. It says, now this is what you are to offer on the altar. Two. So you take your little pen. Oops, you got two. And so you take your pen and you highlight the word two. Two, one-year-old lamb. Each day, continuously, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you offer this lamb. One lamb you should offer in the morning, and the other lamb you offer the edge of the wall. And when they got on the edge of the wall at 9 a.m., you would hear this. I think you'll hear You should hear, you would hear the shofar blow, and it's not working, Aaron. Shoot! And you would hear the shofar blow. And as the shofar blew, the echo of the shofar would, would go, and at the end of the echo, the lamb's 
throat would be slit, and the blood of the lamb would be poured out. 9 a.m. in the morning. And then the people would say, when they heard that, they would say in their hearts this, God, don't forget about the promise you gave to your father Abraham. Remember the covenant you made. Save us. Let's repeat this, because this is going to be important. Ready? God, don't... Remember your covenant you made. Save us. Every morning at 9 o'clock, the shofar would blow, and you would think in your hearts, God, about the promise that you gave Abraham. God, remember the covenant. God, save us. And then, and then this would happen next. At, hey, oh, I almost had it there for a second. At 3 p.m., at 3 p.m., this is what it would say. They would think the same thing. Oh, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. <laughs> that sounds like an alarm, doesn't it? Da, 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 da. Okay. Yeah, mine was better. Thank you very much. And at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, you, you hear it in the morning, and at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, what would you hear? You'd hear the shofar. And again, the priest would get into the crook of the wall, the niche of the That would go. And then the people would think, what? Repeat this. God, don't remember, remember, we're talking about getting to know Jesus every single day, every single day of every single year, one lamb, two lamb, morning, evening, week after week, month after month, year after year, the, they, they moved from the, from the wilderness into the promised land. They do it. In the promised land, the united kingdom under David, they're slaughtering this lamb. The kingdom's the lamb. They're, they're, they rebel. They're put in Babylon. They're, they're thinking about slaughtering the lamb. They come back. They rebuild the temple. They rebuild the walls. And they slaughter the lamb once again. Every single day, a lamb dies. Once at nine. Once at three. Watch this, church. Every single day. Mark chapter 15. Wait, it's 9 a.m. It's 9 a.m. on a very special Passover morning. We know it's 9 a.m. because Mark 15 tells us. He tells us this. He tells us that they brought Jesus to the place of Golgotha. Jesus had gone through some crazy trials. He had his last supper with his disciples. And then up on the mountain, then he came down and went through some trials. They beat him. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They poked him. They pushed down. They put the robe on him. They took the robe off. And then they carry us across, and at 9 a.m. in the morning, he goes to a place called Golgotha, and they crucified him. They divided his clothes. And how do we know it's 9 a.m.? Look what Mark says. It was 9 a.m. because he heard the shofar. And they heard it. And the people would say, while Jesus is being lifted up on the cross, they'd hear the shofar. God, don't forget your promises, your covenant you made. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is being lifted up, put up on the cross, and the people are saying, save us. And God is saying, I am. 9 a.m. Well, it gets dark after 9 a.m. Time moves. Jesus is up on the cross. John, your mom. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It's Passover. The Lamb of God is on the cross. 
the Lamb of God is about ready to breathe his last breath. And Mark pins this, at noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my forsaken me, and the shofar blows. And the people, once again in their ignorance, they say this, God, go ahead, don't forget about your promise you gave to your father Abraham. Remember the covenant that you made. See, isn't that amazing? And how do we know that? Watch what Mark says. With a loud cry, Jesus gave up his breath at three in the afternoon. Incredible. The culture that Jesus lived in was one in which every morning a lamb was slaughtered. Every afternoon a lamb was slaughtered. And nine o'clock in the morning, the lamb of God was truth clock in the afternoon. The lamb of God gave up. And Jesus didn't do it on, he didn't do it because they killed him. He willingly gave his life the sheep the lamb, suffered and died for us. That's one dot. I want you to see this one dot in the book of Genesis. It starts in Genesis chapter 12. One dot, God fulfills his promise to Abraham. I'm going to go quick because there are three other dots I want to get to. They're all sort of connected. Another dot in the book of Genesis is going to be God asks Abraham to offer a son. The other dot, it's down at the bottom. And all of a sudden God asks Abraham. Abraham has been faithful for years Abraham walked with God. Abraham, we received it. They called him laughter. They thought it was such a joke. So funny. And sure enough, Abraham grows up to be a man. Abraham is about, is about 25. Some commentators say he's 30 years old. And at that point, God says, okay, Abraham, I know you're old, but you've got to go now off of your son as a sacrifice. And Isaac, the son, who's 30 years old, could easily overpower dad. Isaac goes up with Abraham. Abraham says, we're going to go offer a, so- a sacrifice. And, and Isaac goes, how do we know? And, and Abraham says, God will provide. And that is enough for Abraham. That, that is enough for Isaac. And Isaac and them go up on top of a hill. And on top of the hill, they build the fire. They prepare the thing. And Dad says, the adult son of Abraham. And Abraham says, God will provide. God will provide. Please get on that pile of burning, get on that pile of, rock, of wood that we're going to set on fire. And Isaac does. Isaac willingly submits to the will of the Father. See, that's a dot, because it's the same picture as Jesus. Jesus willingly submits to the will of the Father. Jesus, the Son of God. We're going to celebrate his birth in just a couple of weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about seven different shepherds in and in, in the whole entire Bible, we're going to talk about the importance of a shepherd. But, but today, you need to see, willingly gave up his life. John chapter 10, it says this, Jesus is speaking. It says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to take it down, and I have the authority to take it up. This command I received from my father. Isaac, Isaac could have overpowered Abraham, and he didn't. Jesus has the authority to take his life. Jesus willingly fulfilled the will of the Father. That's the second dot. The second dot is, is that Jesus willingly gave his life at the cost of his life for you and for me. The third dot is a look. Abraham 
and Isaac, they went up a hill, they went up Mount Moriah, and, and they went up this mountain, and, and that's the same mountain that years later Solomon would build his temple on. God would direct Solomon to build his temple on that exact same mountain. The perpetual sacrifice would happen on that same mountain. And then years later after that, years later after that, a man would carry a cross out on that mountain too. You pull the pictures, you see the dots starting to take place. You see the, the dots of Genesis are starting to unfold. You see the picture that Genesis is not just a picture of, of the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but it is a story being unfolded and connected. And when our eyes are opened, we can finally see Jesus woven through the entire text as Jesus walks the property of the place into which he will be crucified. But amongst, he's more important about the people that he's going to die for. Number four, Joseph proclaims the good news. We're finally in chapter 50. We've run through the book of Genesis. We've run through the book of where Abraham was there, his son Isaac. And now, now Isaac has, has a son named Jacob. Jacob. Jacob has multiple kids. And one of the kids' name is Joseph. Joseph ends up in power in Egypt by the providence, by the hand of God. The, his brothers meant to slavery, but, but Joseph, through the hand of God, ends up being second in power and ends up saving not just the life of Jacob and his family, but ends up saving the lives of thousands upon thousands of Egyptians who he also provided grain to. You've got to remember that story because that story becomes important in the book of Genesis. It becomes important when Kaylee talks about this verse and she says, you meant it for evil. She's talking about some of what happened 40 years prior to that moment when the boys sold Joseph as a slave. Genesis chapter 50. We're going to pick it up in verse 14. After burying Jacob, Jacob finally passes away. He comes on the picture about chapter, and now 20 chapters later, he's, he's passed away. After burying Jacob, Joseph returns to Egypt his brothers, and all who had accompanied him to his father's burial. But now that the father was dead, Joseph's brothers become fearful. Now Joseph will show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong that we did to him. Pause there for a second because this is where the application comes in. It is probably 40 years later. 40 years after the brothers saw Joseph in the multicolored shirt coming down, multicolored jacket coming down and saying, let's kill him. No, no, let's not kill him. Oh, well, what are we going to do with him now? Oh, no, let's sell him off into slavery. Forty years later, they still, they still haven't got over the hurt that they inflicted on Joseph. It's still grinding on them. For some of you, you've made a mistake years ago. You did something that was painful. You said something that hurt somebody tremendously. You, you did something that, that caused pain to somebody. And you're wondering what's going to happen next. I want to, well, I'll get to it after I finish reading these verses. Chapter 16. And so they sent this message to He instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of God, wait, the servants of God, your father, beg you to forgive our sin. And when Joseph received the message, he broke down and wept. And his brothers came and they threw themselves down before Joseph. 
Look, we are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, saving the lives of many. So then don't be provide for you and your children, and rest assured. Wait, and he reassured them, and he spoke kindly to them. And so what you have here is you have Joseph, look, it says twice, don't be afraid, right there. And then it says, don't be afraid, right there. Don't be afraid. I want to take care of a bad thing that many Christians are, are thinking. They think that they, because they did something bad in their past, that God is obligated to provide for them something bad in their future. And so let me give you an illustration. I, I don't think I've ever shared this before. And when I was a kid, when I was in elementary school, Little Circle K, on my way home from school, and this Little Circle K I used to love, if you guys remember those little fake gum cigarettes where you could, they had like powdered sugar on it, and you could take the gum cigarette and you could blow it, and you get the little puff of, of, of sugar. You guys, some of you older people who remembered those phones can do it, right? Younger people, you really missed out on the joys of life. Um, and, and I loved those things, and we didn't ever have much money, and so one day, one day I was in the Circle K, and, and temptation got the best of me, and I stole a pack of cigarettes, a pack of gum cigarettes, right? And, and I got away with it. I never got caught. And, and, you know, I felt a wave of guilt, and then I started smoking, and then, you know, got over it real quick-like, right? Years later, I'm at college, and I'm living with my roommates, and I come home, at, come home after school, and, and I push, but the door opens really easily. The door opens really easily, and I'm thinking... Man, my roommates are slobs. They don't even lock the door. And, and Amy can testify, they were slobs, but it was, it was overly sloppy that day. And I walk in, I'm going, man, this place is just chaos this morning. I, what is going on? And then pretty soon it dawns on me that it wasn't my roommates. Someone had broken into my house. And, and they broke into our window and they stole all kinds of stuff. And, and am I, am I to think, well, this bad thing of my house being broken into is a result of my stealing gum when I was eight years old. Absolutely not. They're not, the only thing in common is me. But there are so many Christians, so many Christians who believe that because I did this bad thing yesterday, I, I am entitled to a bad thing happening to me today. So many Christians buy into this, well, this happened to me because I did something bad. When, when it, no. The grace of God floods you. His, his love dwells upon you. He has saturated you with his kindness. The other day I was reading, I don't know what verse it was, I was reading a psalm in the Bible. And, and, and it talks about David, and it talks about how God is speaking about David, and, and talks about David and how good David is, and, and, remember, and remembers David's kindness, and remembers how godly David was. God remembers the good things that David did. God does not bring up the things that we bring up. Oh, David was an adulterer. Oh, David was a murderer. Oh, David was violent. God has forgiven that. And God remembers David for his goodness and his good things. And if you have asked for forgiveness, God has taken that thing, that pack of cigarettes in your life, and he has thrown them away as far as east is to west, as far as up is from down, as far as left is from right. He's thrown them away, and he's not going to hold you accountable to them anymore, church. To your sin, 
Sure. Sure. Yeah, you, you, you mess around and you get a girl pregnant. You, you become pregnant. And there's a consequence. But it doesn't mean that that can't turn into a blessing. Church, God is not looking at you and going, man, I remember what you did 10 years ago. I, I, I remember what you said to that person 15 years ago. And because you said that, I'm going to punish you down here. God is not like that. The demonstration is Joseph and his brothers. His brothers are convinced that Joseph is now going to repay them for the evil that he's done. And Joseph says, you know what? This is a God thing. You intended it to harm, but good to accomplish what is now being done for the lives of many. Church, every morning the trumpet sounds. God, remember your promises. Remember the covenant. Save us. And so I I rewrote the words for us to say. It says, God, don't forget the promise you made through Jesus. Remember the covenant that you made. Save us. Every morning, we should say this. So let's say this together. Ready? God, don't forget about the promise you made through Jesus that you made. Save us. Every morning. God, remember what you did through Jesus for me. Remember, God, the hope, the love, the promises that I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. You are with me always. Two applications from this morning's message. First one is this. God is bigger than your challenges, and God is in control. I don't know what challenges you face ahead of you, but I do know that God is in control. I don't know what you're worried about, but I do know that God is in control. I don't know what you're stressed over, but I do know that God is in control. I don't know what, I don't know what you're scared about, but I am convinced that God is in control. Live in peace. Do not be afraid. Do not live in fear, waiting for that bad thing to happen because you're worried about this. Church, live in faith. Fear is greater than faith. And number two, don't live in fear, live in peace. Choose to trust God and his promises. Trust God and his promises. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Lord, as a church, we ask you to always remember the promises that you have made to us. Lord, the promise of redemption, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of hope, the promise of joy, of love and compassion. Lord, we thank you for your promises. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful, we would be righteous, and that you would see us as righteous instruments to be used by you this week so we willingly submit our lives to you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.